Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub, and today it is our midweek NFL Draft episode. Just over two weeks to go until the 2021 NFL Draft begins, and we're going to be looking at the needs for the teams in the NFC North, plus the top five edge rushers in this class. And by the way, as a reminder, if you haven't heard our past draft episodes, we've hit all the divisions in the AFC, plus the NFC East. We've also talked about all the top quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and more. So check those out if you haven't done so already. I am joined today by Eric Froton and what I assume to be a very excited Thor Nystrom because today we bring the Minnesota Vikings into full focus for at least three to five minutes. Couldn't be happier. Pumped. Pumped to get to Thor, this. Thor, you shaved your you shaved your beard for the occasion. I, I, I really did. Thank yeah. you for noticing that. I mentioned it, yeah, <laughs> in the waiting room. I was like, Thor, this is a great call. I, I tell him all the time, he's got to go babyface, you know, but it's, he, he's it's a northern woodsman. <laughs> yeah, like a stream, you're, you're so streamlined now. You, you look like you'd run about a 4-5 at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. With uh, I, when I train at Exos only, um, it is a four five. Uh, we've been working to get it down to a four four five. Um, you know, and I just have them stop, start the stopwatch two seconds late, and, uh, <laughs> and then we go with that type. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, let's 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 get into it. We're going to start with the draft needs for the NFC North, and we go in order of last year's standing, so I am sorry, Thor, but the Vikings will have to wait a little bit longer here. The... Green Bay Packers went 13-3. and They lost, of course, to the Bucs in the NFC title game. We know this much about the Packers. They have a quarterback. They have multiple running backs after they surprisingly kept Aaron Jones. Uh, Jamal Williams signing with the Lions. It's now a Jones-A.J. Dillon backfield in some way, shape, or form. We also know that the Packers should probably target a wide receiver. But let's be honest, it's pointless trying to assume what Green Bay will do in the draft at this point, I think. So, Thor, let's operate under the assumption that logic is going to prevail. And if it did... 
what would you expect the Packers to do with the 29th pick and beyond? It, it didn't last April. Um, I, I don't think we're going to get another quarterback pick uh, from the Packers. That would be amazing. That would be truly amazing, though. It truly would. That You talk about something that would take down Twitter. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with your assessment on, on the Packers. Been kind of a quiet offseason. You know, they, they lost Corey Lindsley. But outside of that, you know, in terms of addition, subtractions, nothing enormous. And the same need that you had this time last year, we were talking about this time last year, it's receiver. You know, that's that's right there at the top of the list. They obviously skewed that not only in the first round last year, but all throughout the draft. Um, and, and to me, it, you know, at this point, it becomes even more uh, pressing to get a secondary receiver there. I think if you don't go with that position, probably cornerback and then offensive tackle maybe as well, you know, would, would be the other, you know, secondary and tertiary options. Uh, but for me, I, I think the perfect fit for the Packers in the first round would be Rashad Bateman. Interesting. Uh, obviously, Thor, a Minnesota guy. Sticking to his uh, to his roots, and he's going with Rashad Bateman. Well, that's fair enough. In my opinion, I mean, obviously they can't go uh, another season with Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard, who when he was at Iowa State, I used to refer to him as the Lazard King because he can catch anything. Jim Morrison, yeah, you like that? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I think you're probably, I don't think they're going to be able to get Bateman. Uh, I think you're probably looking at the, the Terrace Marshall. Uh, Elijah Moore would be great if, they, if he slips there. But that would obviously be best case scenario if they could land Rashad Bateman. I think it'd be an incredible pick. By the way, you know Thor is operating with integrity here because how much would that pain Thor for Rashad Bateman? Oh, it'd be the, the worst. Packers? It'd be the absolute worst. <laughs> oh, that's fact. Because I actually watched a game. Uh, this year up in Minnesota with Thor and some of his friends. And let me tell you something, not fans of Green Bay, that crew, not fans. Nah, you don't have a lot of them around here for sure. But you got to right. stay impartial. And and the Bateman thing, even though it would absolutely break my heart, and especially when he started to just run roughshod with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you talk about a perfect receiver for Rodgers. Uh, but, I mean, that's that would be the goldmine for them in, in the first round for sure. What other names? So if, if Bateman is not available, like Eric said, what other any other names that jump to mind? I think Marshall would make sense. I don't know that Tony would, you know, and maybe that's just a personal bias thing. But a, a manufactured touch guy that we're not using Aaron Rodgers correctly. I, I don't think that's a fit. Um, I, I think you're looking for uh, one of the outside guys. I mean, heck, I mean, maybe they, they could look at Elijah Moore. Yeah, I mean, it, at least in terms of where they're picking, that would make sense from from a value perspective. Um, and Elijah Moore is a guy, I mean, definitely slot size, but the athleticism and the ball skills to potentially play on the outside. So those would be a couple other guys. And then, you know, as far as like the cornerbacks, I think they would be only sitting on that position if one of the top four guys gets to them. You know, I mean, it, it looks like that probably will not happen where, where, you know, for instance, Newsom or, you know, if Caleb Farley had an unthinkable drop down the board, if one of those two guys gets down there, maybe that changes plans. But outside of that, I, you know, I, I would be sitting on one of those receivers hoping that it's it's Bateman. And if not, you can audible to a guy like Terrace Marshall. OK, now let's watch them completely confound us and take Najee Harris 29th <laughs> <laughs> or Jamie Newman. <laughs> The Chicago Bears went 8-8 eight and eight last season. This marked the end of the Mitchell Trubisky era in Chicago. For better or for worse, for at least part of a season, it is now the Andy Dalton show. Uh, they did sign Damian Williams to join the backfield mix with David Montgomery and a returning Tariq Cohen. So running back, 
looks set if slightly messy. And just looking at this roster, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it's like this is a team with not a ton of holes, but not really a big ceiling either. Chicago picks 20th, Thor. Is there a game-changing move they can make from that slot? And if so, what is it? Uh, definitely not. Uh, Mac, like go, going back to your your NBA background, the, the Bears remind me of a team that like, you know, where they're trying to like retain their cap space. You see this more in the NBA, but like, you know, they, they just sign like dudes to one year deals and, you know, sort of trying to like, I don't know if it's the correct move for Ryan Pace and trying to keep his, his job long term, but I believe they only have 22 players under contract beyond this season into 2022. So you could have a lot of, I mean, this sets up for a potential full roster blow up if things this year don't go so well at seeing as though they're, they've, they've stuck their flag with Eddie Dalton. Um, it, it's looking like it's probably going to go that way. And, and where they're sitting, they're in a really tough spot, right? Like you're boxed out of the top five quarterbacks. So it is going to be Dalton with, with no real heir apparent, you know, I mean, like they're going to have to look on, I mean, day two, but probably even day three to fill these other holes. Right. Um, and so you're going forward with Dalton um, and then sitting at the 20th pick with with needs, you know, secondary and tertiary needs of offensive tackle uh, cornerback. Yeah, you're probably going to plug one of those holes at 20. But just in the short term, they have this weird roster that's I don't think that the team in 2021 is in 2022. I'm sorry, is going to look anything like the team that we see in in 2021. So it it just seems like they're in this weird like holding pattern that almost assuredly is setting up for, you know, they're going to be picking in the top five with with a due administration next year is is what I believe. Yeah, and I like the NBA uh, reference because you don't want to be in the spot where you're middling and just treading water, go up or go down, you know, and that's really what Chicago has to to deal with because frankly, they're, they're priced out of the quarterback market. They obviously are not going to be trading up and having a catastrophe like Trubisky happen again. It's, and they don't have the ammo to do it. And they have too many, you know, holes to fill. My opinion on what they should do at 120 is take one of the big three offensive linemen or one of the big three corners that fall. If one of those fall, I think you take them because, uh, you know, Bobby Massey got declined on his option, their right tackle. Charles Leno, as you mentioned, final year of his contract, their left tackle. Something's going to have to get done there on the bookends. And uh, again, there was a bloodletting at the cornerback spot where Kyle Fuller got released as a cap hit and they had to sign 31 year old Desmond Trufant. Feel, feel, feel my heat. So, I think they should take one of those, the big six, you know, the pair of the big threes of their biggest needs outside of quarterback, in my opinion, if it gets there at 20. If none of those six are available, uh, I'd probably take Greg Newsom from Northwestern. I really liked what he did in the Big Ten title game against Garrett Wilson, where he had to be the guy to shut him down. They didn't have Olave, Ohio State, so they're relying on Wilson. And Newsom responded to that challenge and then some on a big stage. Uh, I'm a real fan, and I think that's probably the best long-term move is to to lock down that number one corner spot and you know kind of take it from there. I would agree with what Eric said, but I I would extend it to to eight. You know, looking at the the offensive line and then the the cornerback thing because uh, you know Newsom is the, is in there. I, I think with with the other three there, you know, as, as far as that tier, and then with offensive line, I think in addition to you know obviously the the top three being Sewell Slater. 
uh, Derisaw. I think you can also toss Elijah Vera Tucker into that. I, I think he would definitely be in play here because it's not just a, a tackle need. They have interior needs as well. And, and Vera Tucker, in my opinion, he's going to be a guard at the next level, but, you know, potentially some people think he can play tackle as well. So, I mean, he, I think he would be in play as well. The, the good thing, at least, I mean, this is a, you know, I, I don't know what this is as far as like silver linings go, but at the positions that they need and the spot that they're picking, they're going to be fine there, you know, finding a guy at one of those two positions that at least justifies being taken in that slide. Sure. And just to expand on that a little bit about uh, the tackle, they're in a spot where it doesn't matter. Like you're saying, if you take Tucker and he gets kicked into guard, fine, because there's so many needs, you know, you just don't want to get into a spot where you're getting pigeonholed and you know, you go and you take the Robert Gallery tackle, you know, if, to bring it back like 20 years to the L.A. Raiders. You know, they took Robert Gallery number one. He's going to be this incredible tackle. What happens? They kick him in the guard, and it's like you just spent all that draft capital on a guard, you know, and you needed a tackle, whereas the Bears just need talent. Proton, we've got a Jim Morrison and a Robert Gallery out of you, so I'm looking forward to the third <laughs> The trifecta. What's the reference? The the multiple decades reference. That's going to the multiple completed. boomer reference. Okay, I'll I'll try to hit uh in between. Just, I'll try to hit the nineties or the eighties next time. Yeah, just have that in your back pocket, Thor. The time is now upon us. The seven and nine Vikings hold the fourteenth yeah. pick in this draft. I mean, just looking at the depth chart, they appear to be more or less set at the skill positions, just from my perspective. So, where does this first pick for them in this draft go overall? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they're they're decent there, and I I think it's a it's a familiar refrain when we're talking about the the Vikings draft needs because offensive line remains at the top. Just I mean, like we make fun of the Packers because of the receiver thing, but for the Vikings, the offensive line has become the same thing. Uh, so I mean, I think that would be the the number one priority or goal or hope. You know that that one of those top guys falls down, uh, lost Riley Reef in free agency. Um, and you also have an enormous hole at guard. The guys coming back uh, have proven that that they're not starting caliber players, or at least at least not yet. So you need two starting offensive linemen. Unfortunately, you don't have a second round pick to work with because of that ill fated um, and poorly conceived Yannick Ngakwe trade. They they did recoup a, a third round pick, you know, by flipping them weeks later. But um, because of that specifically, I think it makes it um, almost even more important to take an offensive line in round one because, again, needing multiple, needing essentially to discover two new starters between now and, and the start of the season um, and knowing that the offensive tackle class, well, good and, and well, fairly deep. I think the second round is where all those guys that are the tier three, four guys start to get picked off. You cannot count on a, a quality potential immediate starter guy falling to you in the third round where they're picking. And again, if, if they don't get a, a immediate help, it doesn't matter who they have at, at the skill positions. You know, it, it's just going to be another one of those things where, where the foundation of the house is so faulty that, that nothing gets going, which Vikings fans, uh, they know that well, you know, o- over the years. Um, and so, you know, again, I, Offensive line, the dream scenario, I think, would be that, the, I mean, like the absolute, absolute dream scenario is like Penny Sewell does the fall to like the 10 11 slots, and then you were able to finagle a trade up, you right? Like, you know, three slots. They're not going to trade up further than that. Spielman likes to accrue his picks, et cetera. But in a case specific scenario like that, that you don't come across every day, where the best offensive lineman prospect of, of the past five years, 
potentially, you know, coming into your range. I, I think that might convince him to trade from his war chest to picks outside of that, that botched second rounder. Like I said, outside of that, uh, Slater, Rashawn Slater makes a, a ton of sense. Vikings have both an interior need and, and a tackle need. Um, and they, they have moving parts with it. Like right now they have Brian O'Neill on the right side, potentially could move him to the left if you wanted. Um, Ezra Cleveland, a right guard, you could potentially move him to right tackle if you wanted. So because of this, you have a couple, you know, moving pieces, moving parts. And then again, the two holes. So it doesn't pigeonhole the Vikings into the specific kind of tackle or like, you know, specific, like, you know, it's not that we need a tackle necessarily that the interior is, is also a need. So they would make a lot of sense for Rashawn Slater, as far as a team that for sure has this immediate starting spot for him and, and has a, a huge need for him, but also could bring him in, um, have him practice alongside, you know, Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland and boots on the ground, you know, not, not conjecture, not this. I think, you know, uh, he shut down Chase Young. So I believe he can stay in the left tackle, whatever you would actually have the three guys there where you would be practicing. You could find the best guy for left tackle in 2021, right tackle, you know, and then, you know, the other guy I suppose would, would be the right guard. And so that would be another one. Vera Tucker makes sense for, for similar reasons. Although again, I, I think that he's, you know, can find a guard. And Derisaw being the third tackle there, those would be you know the, the primary hopes that you you get your hands on one of those guys, and then um, another need that has cropped up recently here because of uh, Jeff Gladney's uh, extracurricular activities is potentially the defensive backfield, and that's a place you know get, like the, the Vikings have put a lot of draft equity into offensive line and haven't fixed it in recent years. Uh, defensive back, they have sunk a lot of draft equity into that over the last three years. Um, and if Gladney, you know, if if, if his uh, availability is compromised or whatever, now they're going to be looking for another starter there in what is a young secondary. You you you'd just be adding another young guy there. But I, I think if you know if if it's not offensive line, I think it would be because it, it was corner. And again, you have four really good corners in this class. And so assuredly, the Vikings would you know settle on one or two of the kids that they really like. So so that would be my plan if I was them. Well. Here comes your uh, your next reference, Matt. I feel <laughs> like James Carville in the seminal classic, Old School, when he was debating Will Ferrell, simply, that's that's about it. Yeah. That's perfect. We've got no response. That's how you debate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One, <laughs> one thing I would like to ask Thor is, you know, say Slater and Sewell are both off the board. I- entirely possible. Do you think that getting Darasaw, because he's more of that super heavyweight as opposed to maybe a tweener, even though, you know, obviously Slater has great technique, having a big boy there in Darasaw, you know that he's the left tackle. You know that's what he's going to be. He was an ACC legend pretty much. He's a monster. Um, A little slow on the feet, but I mean, he's going to be a brick. And then that way, if you have that anchor there on the left side, you have a lot more options when... You know, their third, they have, I believe, 78, The seven, excuse me, 78 overall and 90 overall in the third round. You're going to have more options because there's going to be guards there. They're going to be appealing. You know, maybe Deontay mm-hmm. Brown, uh, you know, Quinn Miners probably won't get there. He's too good. But uh, I like Trey Smith for Tennessee. Who knows what will end up being there. But you're going to have some picks of the litter. You're simply not going to get the same talent at tackle in the third round. 
Yeah, I think uh, Derisaw would be the one, you know, just because the Vikings fetishize a specific kind of offensive lineman so much, you know, it's it's always the the project, the athlete types that have the high raz and sparks that that need work. And sometimes they hit. Uh, Brian O'Neill is a great example. Um, sometimes, well, the jury's out on, on Ezra Cleveland. Sometimes they miss, which is what it appears, at least for right now, that Garrett Bradbury is. Ho- hopefully that you know, he, he starts to develop, but that has been a bad pick to this point. And then, you know, going back, I mean, all the misses that they've had with, with offensive linemen like this, like people at home could be ticking them off with me, but like Willie Beavers and TJ Clebitz are always the ones that, cause they're the funniest ones. It's like when we talk about make fun of Vikings quarterbacks, like Spurs on when, you know, whatever, like those are the two guys that, that I think of like in, in this ilk and Darisai, uh, he doesn't neatly fit it. Whereas the other three most certainly do. And I don't think that he, Derisaw's uh, athletic profile would disqualify him from the Vikings. But I don't know that, you know, t- to your point, Eric, like looking at the 14th pick, you know, if the other guys were off the board and, you know, the, the other three offensive linemen and they were like, we have to take one, maybe it becomes that, you know, and maybe they would just do it like, you know, in the past we've seen that this is going back a little bit. You know, this is sort of pre-zone, but like the Vikings have had some very good run blocking uh, right tackles in the past, Phil Lodeholt, uh, et cetera, like going back, Corey Stringer back in the day. Like they did have a, you know, think of that, like they might see Derisaw in that system as a guy at right tackle that could do everything that he needed to do and would cave that side of the line of scrimmage every running play so you know like he did at virginia tech which is why cleo herbert's gonna make more buddy than he otherwise would have probably owes a little bit of his signing bonus to, to mr derisaw but yeah I, I think that would be the one the one of those four where i can't tell you right now if the vikings would view him as a perfect scheme fit for the zone that they run the other three for sure wait are you telling me the Khalil Herbert made a good decision by leaving your alma mater. Oh, don't Kansas? start with this. Don't start with this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. The, Everyone makes a good decision by leaving Kansas, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> the Detroit Lions finished five and eleven. They're set to pick seventh in this draft. A very eventful offseason already. Lost Kenny Galladay to the Giants. Traded Matthew Stafford in a deal that, among other things, brought back Jared Goff. They signed Jamal Williams to siphon touches away from last year's second rounder, DeAndre Swift. And they went bargain hunting at wide receiver guys for Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman. So conventional wisdom and a lot of mock drafts have the Lions taking a receiver seventh. Is that what you are envisioning, Thor? And what else beyond that? I think that's what makes the most sense. Yeah, I mean, with Galladay gone, with Marvin Jones gone, and and the guys that they brought in, the, the guys that you're mentioning, they're they're depth guys, right? Like you, you don't want those guys in in your starting lineup. They they need at least you know just like I was talking about with the Vikings, with with the Lions, they need at least one more receiver between now and the start of the NFL season, where he's an absolute you know every week starter. We we don't have to worry about it. Um, and the better, the better, right? Like they, they, they could really use a number one, true number one type receiver. Jamar Chase would make a ton of sense. Will he be there? We're not sure, but it looks like he very well may be because the Lions, one thing where they've gotten fortunate is the movement with the draft board to this point with people moving up for the quarterbacks. It's naturally, of course, the natural offshoot of that is it's going to push some of these, you know, guys that are not just at the top of their uh, position class, but that they would have been, there's like three or four in this class where they would have been over the last like three, four, five years, right? Like Penny Sewell for me, Kyle Pitts, of course, yes. and yep. Jamar Chase. I, I think you could say the same thing about um, Jamar Chase, I think would be the perfect fit here if he gets down there. The question becomes, if he's not, will the new staff, will they 
you know, Devonta Smith, would they, you know, quote unquote, reach for him? I, I would view that as, as a slight reach or Jalen Waddle, you know, or are they going to shoot a different direction? I don't think they're going to, you know, they need another cornerback uh, next to Okuda for sure, but there's no one there. I, I don't think they would go Sertan at seven, but I suppose if, if it's not an offensive guy, it would probably be Sertan, I suppose. Interesting. As you mentioned, I really think that if they don't get Chase there, why don't you entertain a trade down you should, in the absolutely. position that they're in? Because, yep. you know, look at this division. You got Chicago who's on the way down and Detroit who, I mean, what, it's been two decades, maybe three. I mean, maybe forever, if you want to say that. So they've been down. They're bottoming out. It's not going to – they've got Jared Goff at quarterback. They're going to be throwing, you know, average depth of target, about five yards. It's going to be dynamic. So you're going to need a playmaker out there. And if you're going to be, quote, unquote, reaching maybe for Devontae Smith, well, then, you know, bump down a few picks. If they, Especially, best case scenario is one of those QBs falls. You know, if somebody is in love with Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Mac Jones, whoever falls, that would be best case scenario for them. Then they get out of there, trade down a few. One of those teams that are at 10 to 15 move up. And then you get a treasure chest for it. And then you probably still get Waddle or Smith. So, you know, the, the luxury is when you're this bad, there's a lot of needs. You got a lot of different ways you can go. But uh, it also allows you to not worry about this year and you can look to the future. I, if they don't entertain a trade out, I, I would be kind of surprised. I agree with everything that you said, you know, and, and by the way, I would add, I didn't mention him because I, I expect him to be gone by this point. But don't rule out Kyle Pitts. For, for that receiver need either because he fills it. Um, and in Detroit, he, you're, he's going to remind you less of, of TJ Hawkinson than, yeah. than Megatron, right? And by the way, like Hawkinson with Pitts, that would work. That would absolutely work. Uh, Hawkinson, you know, being one of the better inline uh, prospects of the last decade or two, and Kyle Pitts being the one of the freaky, I mean, maybe the freakiest uh, receiving, you know, move tight end type that, that we've seen uh, coming to the league. So, like, if he somehow gets, you know, got past Atlanta and got past Miami, which, again, I, I don't see that happening, but I, I think you do toss Pitts in there with Chase. But if, if neither of those guys are there, I agree with Eric. I, I would try to trade down you know, four or five, six, seven spots because the guys that, that you would audible to there, you know, Devonta, uh, Jalen Waddle, or whether, you know, you decided we want to go cornerback. We like, you know, Sertan or, you know, one of those guys, whatever, JC Horn. Um, those guys, I would be more comfortable taking them at 10 or in the next few slots after that. So it would make absolute sense. And like Eric said, there's a scenario for sure and maybe even a likely scenario that at least one of those five quarterbacks is going to be there in the seventh slot. And say in the scenario where four go uh, above the Lions, you know, we had Adam Schefter say, you know, beforehand that four were going to go in the top seven, um, you know, Lions sitting at seven. If four go uh, above them, the last of the stud quarterback prospects is, you know, on the clock, you know, ostensibly when, you know, the Lions are coming up here to start uh, fielding calls. So, yeah, it could be a fast and furious uh, type in the moment trade scenario you know phone lines lighting up type thing and in that scenario absolutely i, I would try to jump down a little bit because you could get a very similar uh prospect and potentially pick up a future pick and, and also another pick for this this draft as well i haven't been able to stop thinking about the jamar chase thing since you mentioned if i was a lions fan i'd be psyched to see jamar chase in a Lions uniform, as a football fan, I don't want to see Jamar Chase catching passes from Jared Goff. That just seems like a, a serious, <laughs> serious buzzkill in the near future. 
Yeah, it would be what would be strange about that is he would be having a downgrade from his college quarterback. There's there's not exactly. many guys that you know in 2000. Obviously, Chase was a 2020 opt-up, but 2019 he won the Bolitnikov catching balls from Joe Burrow, and now he shows up at the NFL. He's like, "This is all we got a quarterback." Come on, he's just destroying people downfield, and the ball is just like you know five yards from the line of scrimmage. <laughs> it's too easy to picture that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. muscly arm golf. Good old Herbert from uh, here we go. Family Guy wrestling. Hey, muscly arm. <laughs> You're on your own with the band. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm three for four today. (laughs) For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's hard lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a quick reminder, our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products for 10% off any subscription. Enter the promo code GOOD10. That is GOOD10 for 10% off. Eric, you recently released your rankings for the Edge Rushers in this draft class. And today we're going to discuss the top five names on your list. And at the top of the list is Jalen Phillips out of Miami by way of UCLA. And as you wrote, Eric, this guy had a, kind of a wild roller coaster of a career before a great 2020 season. So tell us about that and what makes him the top edge rusher on your list. Sure. Jalen Phillips was simply put the number one defensive end and one of the absolute tippity top prospects of the entire, you know, his entire prep class. So he was a heralded five-star recruit uh, coming out of uh Redlands, California. I'm a California guy, so, you know, I know what Redlands is. Uh, went to UCLA because he wanted to stay close to home, but didn't, you know, didn't quite flourish the way he wanted to in the first few years. Started getting some run, and he was certainly developing. But then, you know, unfortunately, he had some serious issues with injuries. He got into a scooter accident. I mean, hold, hold the laughter. But he got into a scooter accident, flipped over the handlebars, uh, hurt his wrist, had a bad concussion, and then those concussions issues were exacerbated when he was playing, and he got a couple more. So uh, at UCLA, the medical team said, hey, bud, we're not clearing you. We don't think you should be playing. He retired briefly, got a second opinion. Miami said, you know, come on down, kid. We Let's give it a shot. And the rest is history. I mean, we last year, Jalen Phillips, I mean, he was incredible. Just incredible. You, you did. I didn't see any sign of you know any of the previous apprehension, no tentativeness. I mean, the kid is so fluid, natural. The last four games, okay, he really you know he ramped up his production during the season. The last four games, put up twenty six tackles, twenty pressures, and six and a half sacks. Okay, he's peaking at the right time. He's always had the pedigree. But when now everything's coming together for him. He's playing with confidence and the fluidity he has, the bend. I mean, he knows when to dip. He's got a full bag of moves that he can dip into when he wants to. You know, 
he can counter. He rushes with a plan. Um, it's he's elusive and quick. He's got, got a little shake on him, so it's hard to land a direct blow on him. And uh, and he's willing in. He's strong enough to set the edge in the run game. I, I just I, I see Jalen Phillips, and it looks like what you're supposed to look like as a pass rusher. It's he's everything you want, and his nine point five three RAS proves it. I mean, he's as one of the top RAS scores in the. It's everything. He's the, the full picture. The only question I have about Jalen Phillips is the health. And that's something that's so how do you how do you quantify head injuries nowadays? It's such a sensitive thing and, and it's there's still so much we don't know about it. The unknown, but you know, I, I'm willing to look past that given his amazing tape he put on, the athleticism, the traits, the pedigree, everything. He's my number one. He'd be my number one if it weren't for the concussion issues. Uh, he's probably going to be two um, outside of that. But I agree with everything that you said. And what a cool story, you know, for a kid that was the, the number one overall recruit in his class. And it really looked a couple years into his career like he was done. I mean, like it wasn't just that he was sort of medically put to pasture by UCLA, but that Jalen Phillips actually retired, right? Like, and and then you know, of course, he got to you know change his mind and got to go to Miami, and and like Eric said, th- this past season just went to another level. The frame, the athleticism, the smoothness, the fluidity, all that stuff, the know-how. Um, he also plays with power too. He truly does have it all to be a, a you know a potential perennial Pro Bowler. But you know the issue for him again, it's it's a very similar thing. For instance, to Caleb Farley in this class, where you know Caleb Farley, it, he may his back issues may be in the past, right? Like you know after he did this, this recent procedure, but we've seen the back thing in the NFL quite a bit. And for some guys, that recurs, 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 and can wreck their career. And head injuries is another one in that phylum. Um, so for Jalen Phillips, if I knew that he Jalen Phillips was not going to suffer another concussion, he would be the number one edge defender on my board. But just because of that risk um, that it introduces into the profile, he drops one or two spots for me. But I agree with everything that Eric said and, and just a dominant season for Miami last year. And in such a, a talented edge class, too, we have these top five edge rushers, which I mean, it seems like every analyst out there has it in a different order, and I respect it because, gosh, if you like Jason Owe, I respect – okay, fine. He's amazing. Like, this, there's something you can pick from all five of these guys to say, all right, you know, I get it. The, the thing with the concussions, and it's, it's interesting, I will go veer off into another sport. I will say um, wrestling, professional wrestling in recent years. Uh, guys, like in fact, WrestleMania was this past weekend. Edge, a former performer, I can't believe I'm doing this on a football podcast. Anyways, he came back, 49 years old. He retired because of neck and concussion issues. He's back. Uh, Christian Cage is back, concussion issues. Daniel Bryan is in the main event of WrestleMania, severe concussion issues. Retired for a year, maybe two. So you know, we don't know a lot about it, but it seems like we've. You know, that has happened, and those guys take a lot of bumps, and they hit their heads all the time. The fact that, you know, they've shown the ability to maybe recover a little bit, hopefully that time off did, you know, help repair or whatever it might have done for Phillips, helped to, to kind of straighten that out a little bit, and hopefully he won't get another one. WrestleMania may steal the headlines from that last little segment <laughs> of the show, but I do want to point out, Thor also used the word phylum a minute ago, which is a great, great word. Not one you not one you hear every day either. So that was pretty solid. That's right. Dave, I want to flag that. on notice. That was nice. That was for you, Matt. 
<laughs> Thank you. Okay, number two on your list, Eric, is Michigan's Quiddy Pay, who you compared to Everson Griffin. That's for you, Thor. Uh, what are Pay's most notable strengths and weaknesses from your vantage point as a prospect, Eric? Well, man, his his notable strengths is the fact that he was the number one Bruce Feldman freak lister. I mean, there ain't many people on Earth or who have ever been on Earth that have the kind of ability that Quiddy Pay does in terms of speed to power. He put up 36 bench reps at 262 pounds. Are you kidding me? We talked last week, Togi, I put up 40. The guy's 300 pounds. Um, Quipe ran, ran a 4.52. <laughs> I mean, it's 262 pounds. It's simply inhuman. He's as strong as a bull, doesn't have a wide array of pass moves, you know, but when he gets into you and gets into your pads, you're going backwards. And it doesn't matter if you're 320, 330 pounds. He is moving you. So as far as his ability in, I think his number one strength is, besides just the sheer freakish athleticism, is he sets the edge like nobody else in this class. He's stout, thick, aggressive, um, very mechanical in the way he does it. It's almost like he, you know, you could, like you're seeing a coach say, all right, here's what you do. Pity. You go in, you jack that guy up by his pads, you throw him to the side, and you make the play, and it's what he does. It's and you can't stop him from doing it. Um, so just to watch him and run support, it's it truly is a pleasure. But even so, I mean, he doesn't have a wide array of pass moves, but he still won twenty six percent of his pass rush snaps. I mean, that's an incredible pass rush win rate. And the fact that you're you're dealing with somebody who still can be refined in his technique, he's got a lot of room to grow there. Um, I just feel like that potential would pay. There's so many, he could be just that complete edge defender that can, can really, you know, bring a defense together is what I see from him. Yeah. I mean, you said it, man, you know, in, in, in terms of athleticism, we don't see guys like this every year, number one, Bruce Feldman freak. And then, you know, at his pro day it was 93rd, 94th, 95th percentile uh, size adjusted some, somewhere in there. And in addition, what makes him cool, the dichotomy of his game, like you were mentioning, it's that ridiculous athleticism with the power. Um, he has a powerful frame and he plays low. And it's those two things in conjunction where you have the ridiculous movement skills, the explosion, um, and then you, you have the power element. It's a lot for offensive linemen to deal with. Um, the ones that could shut him down in the Big Ten was because of what Eric's mentioning. Like, Quiddy is a decent ways away from being a fully formed edge rusher, but there's reasons to explain why he's so raw, right? Like, another really cool story. Uh, he came over, like, when he was six months old uh, from Guinea. Uh, they'd come from a, you know, he and his mom and maybe a sibling had come from a refugee camp, and they, they settled in Rhode Island which is why a, a guy who is this freakishly athletic, you know, initially wasn't, you know, a five-star, you know, recruit, whatever. Um, but obviously just because of how talented he was um, and he wasn't even an edge player in high school, you know, he played, I think he played quarterback. He played um, running on, back. Yeah. He played yeah running back. He scored 12 touchdowns this senior. Mm -hmm. and, and, and played linebacker as well on, on defense. But, you know, Michigan obviously was one of the big programs that, that sniffed him out and got him there. And everything has bloomed outside of the, again, the, the technique is remains a work in progress, but just because of the combination of strength and athleticism, um, he was able to just clown people 
at, at times in college. Once those two things become refined, like it'd be really cool to see him get with like a really, really good defensive line coach, you know, where, where it's like, uh, Eric, I, n- now I feel like I have to do a pop culture reference just because you are, you know, it's a competitive thing, but you know, in whiplash when, when miles teller, he's, he's with JK Simmons and he's like, you know, I guess, you know, developing him, I suppose, but you know, like, he, he needs a not that he needs a J.K. Simmons throwing things at him while he's trying to do the drums or whatever. But like, you know, if, if he got like a, a really good defensive line coach that, you know, just th- this is the ball of clay that you want to work with. You know, like there's 32 defensive line coaches in the league right now that are praying that their team takes Quiddy Pay in the first round because Quiddy Pay almost assuredly is going to make that guy look really good because the developmental gains that he gets in the next two years. Keep in mind, he did not play edge rusher before he played high school football at, at Rhode Island you know did not have a traditional path here um once he he acquires those tools and refines uh his technique he could be a ridiculous player in the nfl certainly and to to get just you know if we're going to get into weaknesses i I should at least bring this out there wasn't he's not great in terms of stopping changing directions uh his 4.52 shuttle was below average that's about the only thing you can really say about his athleticism is that, you know, if he's moving in one direction, stops, he's got to get that, that big motor, you know, chugging again, going the opposite direction, you know, that can be an impediment and obviously the, the rawness, but these are just, you're just splitting hairs at this point. Give me quitty pay. If I'm a D line coach, just like uh, Thor said. Thor whiplash is a 2014 movie. You really just brought us screaming back toward the present. I mean, Eric definitely hasn't seen it. For sure, it, it I've not come, seen it. If it, if it had come out in 1984, baby. Well, when you have one of Oz's central characters from the That's great true. HBO show, uh, as you mentioned, Mr. Simmons, yeah. uh, he gets my attention. Now, next movie that comes out with that Abizi in it, I will be there when it opens. He's also the farmer's insurance guy. <laughs> oh, that, no, that's, that's O'Reilly. That's O'Reilly. Yeah. Wait, I thought that was him. Where they no, they go to the, the the school? You know, they he he brings him to the school and he's like showing of different accidents, whatever. Isn't that farmers? Oh, yes. I don't well, know. He, that I guess, guy I is in Oz, but Adabizi is a different character. A different you different, get, okay. you got to get in your nineties. You got to you got to brush up here. Uh, my par- my parents didn't get an HBO subscription when Oz was out. Uh, I'll have to stream it. God, the great unwashed North up there in Minnesota. <laughs> Also, last thing I need to mention, uh, Eric, you mentioned a four five two forty time for Quiddy Pay. Wasn't that uh, Thor? That's right there with yours, right? With it your it is second delay time. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing his at Exos. You know, there was actual legitimate people there with the stopwatches, so I trust his time a little bit more. But it is true yeah. that our, our times are very close. <laughs> Sitting at number three. On your list, Eric, is a guy who played at Miami but opted out of the 2020 season, a name we've heard quite a bit on this podcast in recent weeks, Gregory Rousseau. Eric, you wrote about Rousseau's background as a wide receiver and a safety and as a basketball player. Tell us a little bit more about that athleticism and how you expect it to play at the next level. Well, as you all know, I love basketball players who convert to defensive linemen. As you heard last week, yes, um, I, I love you know how that footwork develops, all, all of it. But, you know, it's strange with Rousseau. You look at his body and the real appeal of him is his length. You know, that freakish length. He's got great size. Uh, He's got 83-inch wingspan. He's like an eagle, you know. And he really uses his arms well in order to stand up, you know, do the push-pull moves. And to be able to, you know, he's got a long arm. He'll, He'll throw out there at you too. But he's, again, he's kind of, you know, much like Oe, much like uh, Pei, kind of raw. 
you only got really one year of starting experience out of him. I mean, he was great. He had 15 and a half sacks, 19 and a half tackles for loss. But there's a lot of projection in this uh, sort of a, in my number three ranking of him, because he only had a 6.8 RAS score. He didn't blow people away. Like I, I expected a little more to see from his tape. You know, his tape's good. He's athletic and, you know, he's fluid. He's good. Still can be a little clunky at times, but that's all right. The problem that I have with Rousseau is a lot of his sacks were of the secondary variety where he's going upfield and someone else is crashing. Cause you got to understand with Miami, you got, I mean, yeah, Quincy, uh, excuse me, Roche wasn't there before, but you know, you had a strong line uh, with him to work with so that you'd see the quarterback get pushed and there's Rousseau standing there and he just comes off his block, which, you know, he's good because he's long arming and just, oh, there he is. It was almost uncanny how many times you'd see the, the quarterback sort of just end up where he was at through no actual, you know, anything that Rousseau did. It, it was uncanny. But um, that being said, he did make plays on his own. He had 19 and a half tackles for loss. He moved all over the line, which really wasn't a, a service to his development as an edge rusher because they needed him inside. I mean, he played some snaps over there on notes, you know, he, plenty of time at three tech. And that kind of stunted his little development on the outside because he beat up on a lot of those softer interior linemen. He really took advantage of them. Um, and he wasn't as effective against the more uh, established tackles in the ACC. So I feel like the number three selection, you know, like in terms of where I rank the edge rushers, number three was my toughest decision, whether Ojolari, Owe, Rousseau. I went with Rousseau, but frankly, you know, it could have been any of the three. He's pretty raw, but, uh, you know, the natural frame and he could be coached up to be freakish, in my opinion. He could be a, a every down player, but I don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah. Russo's had an interesting journey, hasn't he, during this draft process, which, you know, for some of these guys, the draft process has been going on a little bit longer because we had opt-outs for the first time, right? It's so like for Russo, he probably considers his draft process started after 2019 season. You know, I mean, I, I guess he did. He played like two staffs or maybe in 2020 before he, he opted out, but, you know, basically didn't play. And very similar, you know, I mean, Micah Parsons is, is another good example. And in Parsons' case, nobody past him uh, although Awusu uh, Koromoa you know in my rankings in number one but for most people uh, Parsons remains about where he was you know maybe with you know just some, some subtraction for the outfield stuff whereas uh, in Rousseau's case you know similar I mean, Jamie Newman it was probably even worse for him but in Rousseau's case he did see people start to pass him and the sort of narrative surrounding him hasn't been super duper positive. Whereas some of the other guys, like, you know, it's like the angel of death for draft season came over some of the opt-out kids and then, you know, didn't with, with some other guys. And it was like, oh, he, he didn't have to play. It was no problem. But, you know, again, for Rousseau, and, and, and maybe it's just circumstantially, right? Because, I mean, like you were mentioning this, but like, you know, in, in high school, he's like, you know, he's a, a, a lanky kind of, well, not, I suppose he wasn't lanky for that position, but, you know, a very tall outside receiver and then he played safety as well and then he goes to Miami and, and in his first season uh, playing there 
you know, just starts to put up these ridiculous numbers, right? Like, you know, just had absolutely ludicrous numbers. His only season starting in Miami, you know, what, whatever it was, like 15 sacks, 19 or 20 uh, tackles for loss, something like that. Uh, you know, and Eric's talking about some of like the more problematic things like, you know, that, that we saw, you know, and, and usage played a part of that. But like the, the thing with with Russo's profile is like the, the year that you saw him was his first year as an edge defender. And, and he, he put up the stats anyways. He's in, you know, he's, he's in the power five. He's in the ACC, whatever he's starting. The things that we the rawness in his game is that inherent to him, or is are those things that we can change, right? Because he he needs more of a, a pass rushing. He, I mean, he needs more moves, and he needs to be more willing to go to counters. Well, while he's in a move that that isn't working, etc. But these are all experiential things, right? And and there's reasons to explain why why Rousseau during that 2019 season didn't have that experience. Ostensibly, he would have t- made a jump in that department. Uh, this past season, as, as some prospects did, you know, we, we saw some defensive prospects really jump up because of a, you know, a huge 2020 Russo just sort of took himself out there. But like w- what you like about him is just prodigious statistical production in his only season a- as an edge rusher, uh, number one. And then you have that uh, ridiculous combination of skyscraper height and a guy who can legitimately, you know, bend the edge at that height, you know, so it's so like the length and then the flexibility combination there is pretty rare, right? And sure, he didn't test as, you know, a nine Raz or whatever, but he tested fine enough for a player that size. And one other thing I'll say is like, you know, Manny Diaz and those folks, they did move him around and, and such like that. One thing that I like about that for Russo, the, the thing I didn't like is what Eric was alluding to in that it's, it probably hurt just that sort of one year of development at, at edge. Maybe he would have started to pick some of that stuff up a little bit quicker. But one th- one thing that I did like about that is it showed that he can rush from the interior at the next level because he did it well. Um, you mentioned that he, he gobbled yes. some kids up in the ACC on the inside, and we know that he's going to be able to do that in the NFL as well. You know, both you see it on tape and, and just the projection of his frame that will work in there. So this is a guy where if, if he refines his approach, his technique, et cetera, you know, we were talking about it, it with pay, but with Rousseau, it's almost even more pressing because you're talking about a guy that, that has literally just, just the one season. If he can do that, you're talking about a guy potentially that on early downs, you can play on the edge and on passing downs, you can move him inside and would be a very high ceiling player uh, with that type of versatility. So I, he is a dice roll for sure, but I don't know if he's as risky as, as I've seen some other analysts out there allude to him as I think his, his stock has started to fall below the, the threshold of where it ought to have gone or, or objective reality, maybe. Well, and you mentioned the production, which was just, you know, incredible, but the dichotomy between him and OA is OA didn't have the production, whereas he's got all the tools in the shed and he's got the motor, he's got all that, but Russo had it, but he doesn't have the athleticism. So uh, I agree too with some of those. I'm, I'm definitely having buyer's remorse on that, that three ranking. Uh, I think probably if, if I had to do it over again, I'd, I'd probably push Ojolari up. And probably even OA. I think I think Russo, after the past you know week and a half since I, I put that in, has really uh, I, I've really had second thoughts about that. I think he's probably closer to four or five than than that three spot. No adjusting allowed, Eric. Sorry, you're stuck with that <laughs> for all eternity. Uh, we are going to give you a chance to talk about Ojolari and OA in a second, but I do want to note I, I sounded like a plane flew about twelve feet over someone's house a minute ago. Is everything okay? I don't know who that was. Uh, yeah, no, it was a little while. I ago. don't think that was me. I, 
It was well. Probably me then. I don't know. I, I didn't notice because I have these clunky well, ear things. So well, maybe it was know. me then. It sounded like it was a, a right over your roof. It's fine. Okay, everything's okay. What, what's crazy about that is you know that happened while I was talking. I thought that a, a window, like browser window, had inadvertently opened. Like I thought it was like a sound was. from the. Oh, sorry, that was me. Yeah. Okay. That was okay. my fault. It, okay. it was the, the browser window opening. I'm sorry. Oh, and you I was opened like, a browser window that had airplane noise? You opened a YouTube video of a plane? Yeah, what flying? was that? No, I, no, I was opening up uh, my edge ranking since we were getting into like some of the stories. Oh. Like, oh, let me make sure I have the story correct of, you know, Quiddy Pay being from Guinea. And I, oh. so I opened it up and it, obviously it the sounded like a plane. Came up. That was wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that's, it sounded like an airplane to me, too. I, I thought it was yeah. at one of your guys' house, but okay. No. Nope. Browser, right, sorry. Okay. I didn't know that picks okay. up. I'm sorry. Okay. Fourth in your top five edge rushers, because you committed to Rousseau for all eternity, is a guy who sounds like is ready to make an impact as a pass rusher at the next level right away. Eric, here's your chance. What do you like about George's Aziz Ojolari? Well, the speed profile. I mean, gosh, you see him coming around the edge like a hurricane. You know, I mean, he's got an incredible chop move. You know, I love it. Good luck getting hands on him when he's got that bend going. He's probably he's got, in my opinion, probably the best bend in the class. I mean, he's a little small because he's in the 240-pound range, and these other guys we're talking about are 260-ish. But, man, so fast, so quick, smart, uh, speed to power all day. Way, way stronger than you think from a guy who's 240 pounds who's got to go in there and, and set the edge, and he's willing to do it. I mean, he'll get swallowed up sometimes. It's just math, and it's just mechanics. You know, he's – Bigger tackles, they're going to get on him. They're going to move him, and that's how it is. But point is, at 240, he's willing to get in there and mix it up. And on the pass rush, I mean, he's so clean, so smooth. And he'll beat you inside, too. Like, he's got the speed on the outside where you have to respect it. The left tackle, every time that snap's coming off and they see him, you know, offset edge, and maybe over at the seven, they know he's coming from, you know, an angle, they're scared. You know, they're immediately, how do I get out there quick enough to make sure I'm moving my feet to combat, you know, that outside rush. And then you'll see him give him the old, you know, one, two inside, uh, you know, club and then go right inside and murder the quarterback. So uh, he's just so fast, so athletic. He can even cover a little bit. You know, he's pretty much made for the three, four outside linebacker role. And he's powerful enough to he'll if you're worried about his, you know, his jukes and his his fluidity. He'll, he'll toss a bull rush at you, and he'll move you 10 yards into the backfield. So uh, I just love the overall package, 8.19 RAS score. Uh, I'm a big Ojolari guy. You said it, and as a 3-4 linebacker, as a guy who he doesn't – I mean, I, I don't know that he, there's anywhere else that he could be. What he is is a 3-4 outside linebacker You know that gets after the passer. He's not going to be a fit for every team. But but that being said, the, the teams that run 3-4 are, are going to love this kid. Eric talked about it, but like off the edge, he presents such a puzzle because it's not just that you have to respect his speed and the first step explosion. It's that you almost have to modify your strategy uh, to be able to deal with it, right? Like you'll start to see offensive linemen like with more weight back on their heels or, uh, you know, coming out wider off the snap or whatever, um, trying to protect the edge better because he can take it. He can steal home 
real quick, real quick, because it's not just the first step. It's not just the speed after that. He can also get low and he is very flexible. And so if, if you're not careful with that, you know, out on protecting that edge, he's going to run right by you. And then he, Eric was mentioning this too, but a little bit more power in his game that you would think specifically, I, I'm talking about w- with regards to uh, pass rushing. And then just like a guy who, who has a plan conceptually, almost seems like he has a plan for, for every single offensive lineman that he's gone up against almost like he studied them and I, I'm sure that he did but so, so it's that but it's also you know we've talked about you know the two guys before this they were guys who were just extremely unrefined in terms of their technique they're just getting by on their their gifts to this point Ojalari is a guy that that also technically speaking getting after the quarterback that kid knows how to hunt um, and he doesn't waste motion you know again it's, it's just that bang bang explosion uh, in speed off off of the edge doesn't waste any motion I like him a lot but again he's not a fit for for every single team and I think that I have a f- maybe a few more questions about his his run defense than than Eric and it's not necessarily that that I don't think that he can consistently set the edge it's just that uh, the way that they do it at Georgia because they you know you see this at, at some schools that have you know all the four and five star athletes or whatever but um, you can start to lose some snaps on a you know a situation dependent basis and they obviously wanted Ujulari out there you know anytime there is going to be a pass and he he was off the field sometimes for you know for uh you know early snaps whatever run snaps um and so i would like to see him you know in that area more but just as far as as the pass rushing goes if you're a 3-4 team this is the kid that you want they're an outside linebacker absolutely and to speak to the the rushing thing i i did want to make sure that you understood uh what i would say is He's willing to set the edge. Sure. He's willing. He will mix it up. You see guys who go in there a little tentative, like, uh, do I have to do this at 240 pounds? But, you know, th- there's no trepidation, uh, you know, with him that I see. And uh, lastly, with with the pass rush moves, too, as you mentioned, he's so savvy. You're getting a different look every time. Yep. You know, he's setting up his moves. He's thinking a couple plays ahead. And what I really like, too, is he's so fast. Sometimes you see the fast guys – they just get married to it. They just get married to cornering and just doing that edge. But with Ojolari, he varies his tempo where he'll shoot off. He'll burst sometimes. And other times kind of give you a little bit of the J.J. Watt wiggle. And, and you'll be ready for the speed rush. And then, oh, wait, oh. And he almost like throws a change up at you. So, yeah, big fan of Ojolari. Good point, though, too, where he's he's pigeonholed as a, as a 3-4. That's what he is. He's not going to be anything else. Finishing out Eric's top five is the aforementioned Jason Oa from Penn State, another former basketball player. You wrote with, that with Oa, Eric, it's a classic case of projection versus production. Break that down for us and, and what it means in this case. Well, he's another Bruce Feldman freak lister. Uh, you know, incredible athleticism. Second bet highest RAS score in the class. The production, obviously, he he didn't have any sacks as a senior. That's it's not a misprint. Just he. He was unable to get to the quarterback. However, you would see him when you watch him on film, he's got burst and he's getting there. He's making plays. But when he's had his best rushes, it seems it's on quick passes. So like the the penetration, the, the consistency in terms of his being difficult to deal with, he's difficult to deal with quite often because he's the prototypical fast twitch rusher i mean you want the archetype that's him you know so fast it, everything about him crashes gaps in the run game i like how he, he attacks you know he's, again he's fearless i mean talk about chasing down plays from behind he's everywhere 
He's all over the field, chasing down everything. And he's so fast. You see him gain on receivers. If they're, you know, they'll go and throw a quick little, uh, you know, hitch slant. And he actually gains on receivers when he's, you know, uh, at the meld point. I, I just, it's amazing his, his athleticism and it shows up. It's just, again, is not the production, but in, since it is Minnesota and we're talking about the NFC North, you know, the, the common comparison you see a lot is Daniel Hunter, who, you know, as you know, Thor, incredible athleticism. I mean, you saw everything you see from him is like, all right, well, this guy is, he's got the goods, but he didn't have that kind of high end production, the Russo production in college. Well, that's sort of like what you see from OA, but I mean, what you, what people aren't forgetting or what they're forgetting about him. Okay. 2020, he didn't have any sacks. Okay, fine. However, 2019, he had five sacks and 31 pressures in a part-time role. So he was, a, he was a demon in 2019 it, and he produced, it's just, it didn't translate. It didn't carry over as well to that second season for whatever reason you know, opportunity, whatever might have you as it did in 2019. That being said, he's got to, he's got to get more moves, got to be refined, you know, very similar, you know, criticisms, I guess, to pay in that respect and that he has to develop those physical traits. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. And, and the Hunter thing, it's, I mean, it's interesting, you know, in terms of like looking for a sort of a ceiling comp for him, it, it's also interesting sort of in the moment, right? Like, as you guys will recall, like Hunter, the the athletic profile was not in question uh, with Hunter. And we had seen him at a big college, right? Like we'd seen him on TV quite a bit, j- just like Owe. Uh, but the statistical production was a little bit wonky, needed to work on some technique, et cetera. Uh, ends up falling into the third round. And, you know, the, I think the Vikings got him 88th. And similarly here, um, you know, if there is an edge rusher from this sort of top group that ends up falling down a little bit, it probably would be a way. But the, the same ceiling would still apply. Right. Like the risk is for sure there. And with Owe, that's a little bit more the, the risk profile than than some of these other guys is what Eric's saying is so right. Like the, the athletic package is ridiculous. And, you know, similarly to pay, like what you're talking about here is like, you know, when this guy won, you know, is mostly with with athleticism. And so naturally, the you know, as, as far as a weakness or something to work on, it's the technique. Uh, the one thing, though, that pay has uh, that Owe doesn't is. Owe, like the the ridiculous, it's the ridiculous power, but but Owe, um, like you can stall his engine a bit. He he can get his engine stalled with with punches and and stuff like that. You know he can be stonewalled as well. And so you'll see, you know, sort of fits and starts with, with him. And and this is how you take him out of a play and how you end up seeing, you know, plays strung together where you don't see him. But just because of the athleticism, like Eric's mentioning, like you can some of them you can see in your head. Right. Like it, it, he didn't get the sack last year, but, you know, the season before uh, got plenty in, in, in TFL, et cetera. The, the speed and the, the movement around the edge, it, it, it speaks for itself. But then also you, you see the stuff of, again, like him trailing downfield, you know, chasing someone down, stuff like that. That stuff, you know, that comes with it, right? Like you're you're getting this this freak athlete, but you're gonna have to work on on his his technique. I mean, that's it. That's gonna be a big project, and just teaching him how to play the position, right? And then, but beyond that, it's gonna become like is this a strength thing? Is this a technical thing where that's why like, you know, you can literally sort of snuff them out of plays with like a jolt of power. Is that something that can be corrected or is it not right? Cause some, you know, edge guys just, just sort of lack that. 
and so you know that's the bigger thing for him where, where the risk profile becomes a little bit more but but just as far as is the upside that's why I, I assume Eric has him ranked where he does because the upside is there's very few guys in this class that can touch it if everything comes together for Owe. but um, he's obviously a, a little ways away I wouldn't I wouldn't take I wouldn't take Owe. I'm starting to say a bunch of words that rhyme together but I, I I would not take him with the idea of like I need a dude starting day one that's going to make some sort of impact or, you know, whatever for the, the defense. Like I, I would want him to come along a, a little bit slower and, and be more of an ancillary uh, pass rusher. Well, one other thing I'll mention out the door on him is that yes, he did not have a sack last season, but what he did do that was started to be nice. Like we started to move in the right direction was with his run defense, which for me was an enormous question, um, you know, going back. Cause as a pass rusher, like I said, the, the lack of play strength, um, you know, and core strength is, is something that can, hurt him in the run game it was even worse of course but he started to show last season and it wasn't just you know running down and you know taking guys down or whatever he was starting to do a better job of, of things like setting the edge and being more aggressive and stuff like that um, trying to win with power against tackles etc so, so you have started to see some of these developmental gains hopefully the sack thing was just a fluke and hopefully you know you can teach him the rest because this guy does have all pro ability if everything comes together certainly and to speak to his need for further refinement and development. I mean, he's only played 744 snaps in his entire collegiate career. He always started playing football as a junior in high school. So, I mean, it's expected almost to him to be a little bit behind, you know, the, the more the people have been playing since they were five years old. I mean, it's just simply, you don't know what you don't know. And it's a case of he, he could use an apprenticeship type year as sort of Thor alludes to at the next level. So he can really be properly coached up and, and he can really be ready to be deployed in the way that uh, he can be the most effective. Okay. You can check out Eric's complete edge rusher rankings. I think you went 20 deep, 25 deep, 25. Yes. 25 deep at NBC sports edge. So go check that out guys. Anything else you want to mention on the site before we get out of here? I'm dropping my cornerback rankings tomorrow. I'll be dropping my safety rankings uh, next week around this time. And then right after that, uh, my 500-player big board leading up into into draft week. So lots of stuff coming out. And Eric and I are both going to have mocks as well. All sorts of content is, is going to be coming. So check us out on the, the College Football NFL draft section. All right, that will do it for us. You can follow these guys on Twitter at ThorKu, at CFFrotonThor. Eric, thanks to both of you. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.